0: If you want to get good at something, it can really help to be inspired by someone who has done it before. It doesn't mean your road is going to be exactly the same, but studying the journey of others can be like a headlamp in the dark. After all, no one thought that a sub-four minute mile was even possible until Roger Bannister did it in 1954. Today, nearly 2,000 people have claimed that accomplishment because they were inspired by someone who did it first. So today, I'm going to go over the 10 steps I took to go from not running at all to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42. Some of you are familiar with my story, but many of you don't know all the details and I want to be completely clear. I'm not sharing this to brag about how great I am because let's be real, I'm not an elite runner on any kind of national or world stage. But what I was able to do as a normal mom with a full-time job is something that I know others aspire to do. So I want to break down all the steps I took with the goal of inspiring you to go after your running dreams and make them come true. Welcome to The Planted Runner. I'm Coach Claire Bartholic, and my mission is to help you improve your running, your mindset, and your life with science-backed training and plant-based nutrition. You'll learn the key steps that I took that made the most difference in my progression, what I did physically to keep improving, and what mindset shifts I had to make to go from being a good runner to a really good marathoner. I've shared a little preview of this on my Instagram in a post that kind of went viral. So if you're not yet following me there, be sure to do so at The Planted Runner. And if this kind of topic resonates with you, the best way you can support this work is to leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to me now. I cannot overemphasize how much of a difference a simple review makes to the success of the show, which is why I'm so grateful to everyone who has reviewed it so far. Thank you. I've also gotten so much positive feedback on the Mental Strength Minute, which I include at the end of every single episode, so be sure to listen to the end to fortify your mind in 60 seconds or less. The beginning of my journey to a 258 marathon at the age of 42 had nothing to do with the marathon at all. Step one for me was vanity. My high school reunion was coming up and I just wanted to get in shape and look as good as I could. I wasn't really overweight, but I had given birth to two kids practically back to back and I didn't really have any kind of exercise routine. I would say physically, I was just your average mom. At that point, I had recently gone plant-based and I'd lost a few pounds without even really trying simply by focusing on filling up on whole plant foods but my personality is usually taking things to the next level, so I decided to run. I had gone through a couple of spurts of running in the past, but it had never really stuck. I figured it was the simplest way to get to the goal of looking good in a dress, so I laced up and got to it. And I hated every step. (laughs) Running was just a means to an end, and I couldn't even fathom how anyone could do this for enjoyment. I dragged myself out there for a mile, or two, or three, checked the box, and called it good. I wish I could say that there was one day or one run where everything changed. One dramatic lightbulb moment when I went from hating everything running to suddenly finding it my calling in life. Nope, that didn't happen. The reunion came and went, and yes, I thought I looked pretty good in that dress. And I just kept on running. I don't think it was because I loved running at that point. I had gotten to a level of fitness where running still sucked, but it sucked a little less. I liked how I looked and how I felt, and I didn't want to give all that up and just quit. Step two was curiosity. Now that I had gotten a basic level of running fitness, I was curious to see what I could do with it. Remember how I said I'd run in spurts in my past? One summer in my 20s, I had trained for a half marathon as my way of getting over a breakup. I quit running right after the race and got back together with the guy. So I was curious if 30-something me could beat 20-something me at that same race. Turns out I could. I finished nearly seven minutes faster and that was enough to make me wonder if I could get even better. And of course, why stop at the half marathon? Why not go train for a full marathon? And why not try to get into Boston? My little taste of accomplishment had me curious about what I could do if I really tried. Step three was desire. After I learned that you actually had to qualify for the Boston Marathon, I signed up for the hilly and cold and rainy marathon in my town. While I didn't get anywhere near my qualifying time, I did finish in a respectable 402. I had envisioned that I was going to finish much, much faster, mostly because I had no idea what to expect. I underestimated how hard it would be until I actually tried. Looking back at that first race, I realized all the mistakes I had made, like being overconfident and starting off too fast. I was also wearing completely inappropriate shoes for a hilly, partly gravel marathon in the rain. And why on earth had I picked such a hard course for my first try? There were a lot of things that I did wrong, and knowing that I could fix them gave me a deep desire to try again. This leads me to step four, which is education. I became absolutely fascinated with the science of training and racing marathons. This was back in the day when there weren't a whole lot of podcasts out there, but blogging was in its heyday. So I researched and read and learned as much as I possibly could on how to do better. For me, the marathon was like a puzzle I just had to solve. Yes, I needed to get out there and do the training, but I was learning that there's a method to the marathon madness, and I was drinking all the Kool-Aid I could. I got my Boston qualifying time in my second marathon, squeaking under the line with just 90 seconds to spare. Thankfully, that year it was good enough, and I was Boston-bound the following April. Step five is strength. Along with following a marathon training plan for all my running, I started going to the gym. I was learning from my research that I needed to support my running with strength training. I firmly believe that regular strength training two to three times per week is what kept me injury-free through nine marathons and beyond. People ask me all the time what kind of strength work I did, mostly because they wanna know what they should do. And most of the time what I did was something they call muscle pump classes at my gym. They're 45 to 60 minutes long, they're full body sessions with dumbbells there's always a lot of variety depending on the teacher. It could be heavier weights and fewer reps one day, or it could be lighter weights and lots of reps the next session. The reason this approach worked so well for me is because I liked being in the group class far more than I like trying to piece together a strength session all on my own. I don't naturally gravitate towards strength sessions on my own, so being in a class with others and with a motivating instructor made a massive difference. So this is what I really want to emphasize, what kinds of strength sessions you do almost doesn't even matter. Just do them. If you'd rather work out 10 minutes every day after a run, instead of heading to the gym for a 45 minute class, do that. If you'd rather lift a lighter weight, a lot of times rather than a heavier weight, fewer times, do that. Just do something and do it on a regular basis. Make it hard enough so that you're building muscle, but not so hard that it affects your ability to run well on a speed day. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer Sheri Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures. So many people get caught up on what exercises to do and how often and how much weight to lift and all of that. Yes, at a certain point, you're going to want to optimize and maximize all of that. But if you're not even at the point where you strength train at all, forget about perfect and go for doable every single time. Next up is step six, and that is the power of the group. While I prefer to run alone, mainly because of the convenience of just running out the door whenever I want, finding a group of runners in my town was probably the most important factor in shaping my dreams and my training. In Asheville, North Carolina, where I live, we are lucky to have amazing trails nearby, and I wanted to learn to run the trails without getting lost. So I found a trail group online, and once a week, a bunch of strangers would run in the woods together. Some of the regulars also ran with the local track group, which at that point I could not even imagine doing. But a woman my age named Mandy finally convinced me to go with her to the track. At that point, I was solidly middle of the pack, and it was so encouraging to be around people my age or even older that were simply crushing it. There were women in their 50s that were practically lapping me and men in their 60s that looked 20 years younger. They were all training for cool and exciting things. Many of them were doctors or business owners or other professionals with kids. They had big goals and dreams and seemed to be used to working hard to making them come true. They were the future me that I wanted to be. There's quite a bit of research saying that you become more and more like the people you hang out with the most. So I cannot recommend enough that you seek out the people who are already the people that you want to be. Step seven is coaching. My first few marathons, I used free training plans that I found online. I went from 402 to 338 to 326 in Boston. Then after a pair of 311 finishes, I got some help. At this point, the idea of a sub three marathon was starting to take shape in my head, but I was stuck. So I hired an online coaching service where eventually I was hired to coach myself coaching not only mixed up the training that I was doing to work on things specific to me, but it also allowed me to see my blind spots. I got feedback on my workouts and had the ability to ask specific questions. Was I working too hard, not enough? Did I completely blow this workout or is there something else going on? When you're simply following a training plan that says run x miles at y pace it can feel very binary you either do the workout as written or you don't you pass or you fail but training is actually more like following a recipe if you have all the ingredients and all the tools you can make the recipe and it'll probably turn out great but if you don't have all the tools or ingredients you're gonna to have to make some subs or swaps or perhaps even change the recipe completely. If you have lots of experience in the kitchen, this is usually not a problem and the dish will probably turn out just fine. Having a coach, on the other hand, is like having a celebrity chef on call whenever you're in the kitchen. She can tell you what to do if you don't have any baking soda or the right cake pan. You're still gonna have to bake the cake yourself, but your coach can help you go from making simple cupcakes to creating a three-tier wedding cake. Step eight is trusting my training. When I ran 3.11 for the first time in Chicago, I wasn't thinking that I was going to run a sub three-hour marathon. Soon after though, I did. I'd been improving by such big jumps with every race that I was starting to expect that every time. Of course, that is a big mistake and I'll do an entire episode focusing on all my mistakes soon. But I was starting to see my speed days get faster. Both my short interval track work and my longer tempos were getting better and better each cycle. Yes, I had bad days and good days and my training didn't go in a perfect 45 degree angle upwards but there were some really good trends. In between my marathon training cycles, I would focus on 5K training to sharpen up my higher end speed. Getting better at the 5K can make you a better marathoner, provided you're still doing the aerobic long distances as well. For me personally, my 5K times never lived up to what I could do eventually in the marathon, so simply looking at those finishes didn't give me the confidence that I was anywhere close to sub three but my marathon paced workouts told a different story. There are several indicator workouts that can give you a good sense of your marathon fitness and those were telling me that my dream was possible. Step nine is maximizing my strengths and minimizing my weaknesses. Learning that I could hold on to a pretty fast pace for a pretty long time, but not being especially talented in the 5k taught me a couple of things. The first was that I was really good at pace locking or holding on to even splits for dear life and not letting go. The second was that I was not so good at cranking up the pace or finishing very fast. For whatever reason, I can run for three hours while maintaining a heart rate of 175 beats per minute. That's more typical of a heart rate at 5k pace or even mile pace for some people. There's not really any room to push the gas pedal when my engine is already revving that high. So the traditional marathon pacing advice of starting off slow and finishing faster was actually not the best strategy for me. I was really good at even splits, so I focused on becoming excellent at it. I got a little better at trying to finish faster at the end, just not a whole lot. But because I had played to my strengths the rest of the race, I didn't need to be. Finally, step 10 was letting go. After my second 311, I had one DNF, or did not finish marathon, which is a story for another day. The next two marathons came in at 3.06 and then a heartbreaking, oh, so close finish in three hours and 29 seconds. I don't think there was a massive difference in my fitness in the year between the 3.06 and when I finally got my 2.58. What happened is I finally let go. I was holding on so tightly to this fixation or even obsession of the sub three. I was trying to do everything, all the miles, all the workouts, all the extras, that it was no longer about the curiosity to see what I could do like it was at the start. I was starting to tiptoe down the road of disordered eating and overtraining until finally, I had just had enough. I was still gonna work towards my dream, but without the white knuckled approach. I stopped trying to stay actively super lean and I ate more. I dropped my mileage down at least 20%. And then I dropped my second speed day a week. Let me say this all again. What finally got me to my dream marathon goal time was eating more, running less and running slower. I let go of all of this self-induced pressure that I was putting on myself because thankfully I could see that it wasn't working before I hurt myself. Because remember, I could see that in my workouts that my fitness was there. I had developed the speed. I just had to stop forcing it to happen. And that's exactly when it finally did. During the last 5K of my 258 marathon, I was actually able to speed up just a little bit. I told myself, Claire, if you can pull this off, you don't ever have to do this again. And I haven't. Now, I'm sure I will someday. But the marathon for me was all about having the curiosity and the desire to see if I could do something absolutely incredible. It's not about the marathon itself, but the power of transformation. And now I have the opportunity to do that at scale. I get to help you reach your wildest running dreams through everything that I do with The Planted Runner podcast and coaching at theplantedrunner.com. My passionate, obsessive fixation is no longer on my running, but on yours. I'd love to join you on your journey, and the best place to start is theplantedrunner.com slash join. You'll get my free ultimate fuel guide for runners and get exclusive running tips and stories in your inbox each week. Your unique running road won't look the same as mine, but if you have the curiosity and the desire, amazing things can happen. And now it's time for the Mental Strength Minute. Fortify your mind in 60 seconds or less. Today's topic is conquering pre-race nerves. When you're nervous before a big race or workout, remember that it's normal and actually helpful for your performance. You're excited to do what you've trained for. You're awake, you're alert, your heart rate is up and you're ready to go. This is a good thing and it's normal. But if you have performance anxiety, you might feel worried and exhausted before you start. To conquer this, make sure you're warming up to release some of that nervous energy and adrenaline. Do a routine like leg swings or drills to give your brain something positive to focus on. And remember, whatever happens during the race, you're not entitled to the results, only the effort that you can give. The results, just like the weather, are not in your control. So instead, shift your attention to what keeps you in the present, one mile at a time. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of The Planted Runner. Your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts are key to the success of the show. Downloading, subscribing, and sharing the show with all your running friends also makes a massive impact, and it's all free. Have a great run today. Sports Stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flojo. Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.